am the cold hell that winter brings. I am the Krampus. Are you a passive-aggressive shit who doesn't want to confront your significant other or your bastard kids about how shitty they are? Well, become a Patreon patron of Slasher Podcast and then send them a little message about how shitty your shit friends are on people and I'll make a special recording just for you and I'll tell them about how I'll put them in a bag and I'll hit them with sticks. Unless they're a masochist, which would probably arouse them, at which point I'll make them wear dockers and watch Geely. Krampus. Out. This is Slashers, your new favorite podcast about your new favorite horror media. My name is Jake, and with me as always is my esteemed colleague, co-host, and cohort, Doug. Doug, say hello to the mutant goons from beyond. Hello, all you frosty-headed mutant goons from beyond, which I've just joined on your Facebook chat, so uh, I'll be stalking your Facebook posts. There we go. So we have Facebook, Instagram, Horror Amino, Slasher. I kind of tweet sometimes before I forget. Um, It's cool, man. You can find us pretty much anywhere. Yeah, we got a real doozy for you this week, too, because, uh, you know, Christmas time's around the corner. It's one of my favorite seasons. And, you know, there's plenty of great horror movies abound. Some good, some bad, and some just trash. But uh, we love all of them, right? I'm Yeah, honestly, this is one of my favorite times. Like, going back, I think it's a huge element. Like, one of my formative experiences in Christmas movies, one of my favorite ones of all time, is Gremlins. And Gremlins creates the PG-13 rating because it's so horrific and gory and gross and campy and fun and great chaos, you know? Obviously, it was way older than I should have been watching at such a young age, but so much of my enjoyment of Christmas is like twisting Christmas. Like, for instance, Die Hard. I love Die Hard because it's Christmas, but it's not. Like, I love Lethal Weapon because it's Christmas, but it's not. And so, you know, so many of the horror movies are so fun in that regard. It's it's a huge well of good content. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's plenty of them that still have even hit the blu-ray or dvd market like don't open till christmas uh if you've seen that one that's a great uh british slasher you know christmas slasher movie and that one's great and it doesn't have a blu-ray release so if you're listening to vinegar syndrome or anyone from severin that must get a release get on it now yeah so uh but yeah jake uh, what's been new with you how was your thanksgiving dude my thanksgiving was rad i got to hide in a cabin or i guess a condo in Utah with my wife and two chubby kids and it was just so nice to like not have to worry about catching COVID or anything like that I had a weird experience where a guy who looked like my dead uncle looked at me with really knowing eyes and I know that he confused me for somebody else but he said to me at one point he's like oh man like are these your kids and it was like holy shit my dead uncle just got to meet my kids uh, so I'm thankful for that weird ass experience. What about you, Dougie boy? Did you have fun? Oh, yeah, I did. I had six people all crammed in a cabin that we rented off of Airbnb. The pictures showed nothing of what the cabin actually looked like. Yeah. So was it a we fisheye lens? Uh, pretty, very much so. Yes. The bathroom was just like a, a broom closet. Oh, um, we slept on the floor on an air mattress and uh, the kitchen didn't have an oven. So we put our ham that we bought from Sprouts into a little toaster oven. It took about three hours or so. Holy shit. You might as well have used the exhaust pipe of your car. Well, that was going to be next. We're going to fry breakfast eggs on the, on the engine. There we you know? go. <laughs> Would have been faster. So Doug, in terms of horror bullshit, 
what movies are you thankful for that they exist? Doesn't have to be Thanksgiving, but what, like, what's just one thing that comes to mind where you're like, yep, yeah, you know what? I was ruminating on this. I'm happy that this exists. Well, uh, one film I definitely love that exists. Uh, I just happened to get it from, uh, what was it, Vinegar Syndrome? Tammy and the T-Rex, if there you haven't you seen that movie. <laughs> check it out. It, it's one of the best, like, unearthed films because it was released on VHS back in the 90s as, like, a PG-13 kids movie. Yeah. But now that this, this 4K Blu-ray they released, it's it's a hard R. Uh, it's it's gorier than some uh, saw films. <laughs> yeah, seriously, we were talking about that on Adrian's. Is this a torture porn episode? Like saw the first one is not bad at all like you could air the entire movie uncut on fucking cbs but the ones that come after are like whoa like you're actually breaking the foot off like it's it's crazy to see how things have amped up so yeah tammy the t-rex unrated is way worse than so many movies it's oh, worse yeah, than but, texas chainsaw uh it is uh, yeah it just shows more gore than at least the original texas chainsaw exactly so yeah, the um, but but saw 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 two saw three. I mean, hey, got to give it to those because I remember the first time I went to go see a saw movie in the theaters, I snuck in to see saw three. I think I was in high school. Yeah, or, or yeah, and th- to me that was saw three is still I think the mo- one of the most brutal like mainstream films, uh, to date. I was I'm still surprised by that 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 got away with as much torture as it did. Yeah, honestly, like it's it's so interesting that the first one was so artsy and the rest of them became so. So like schlocky, you know, because you have this weird juxtaposition where I feel like people gave a lot of the other ones pass because it was part of a franchise that was headier, even though as it gets like further into the series, it gets just more debased, if you will. Yeah, no, I agree. But uh, hey, I'm all into that that uh, shock exploitation type cinema. So Saw definitely did it for me. The seventh one was probably the one that I'm like, yeah, this is this is just getting too goofy now and they need to end it. But uh no, so saw. Oh, there is supposed to be a new one, but it was uh, delayed. Yeah, Spiral with yeah, Chris Rock. Spiral, yeah. How interesting to see how weird. that's gonna go. I know Chris Rock, and then who else was in there? Some other big name people. I don't know. It's just weird because I don't really associate Saw with big name people like that. So yeah, I associate it with the guy from Robin Hood Men in Tights. Yeah, Robin Hood Men in Tights, and uh, the the record shop owner from Seinfeld. There so. we go. Yeah, so that's uh, John Kramer, Seinfeld. Seinfeld fucking rips, dude. I've known way too many people in my life who don't appreciate Seinfeld. Also, uh, on the topic of sitcoms that are outdated, Jason Hill from Director VHS Podcast sent me one of my favorite things of all time. He said that basically Cheers was just on the holodeck of Star Trek, and it was a juxtaposition of everybody from Brent Spiner, Spinner, whatever, Christy Alley, all these people who were on Cheers, and all of them with their like Next Generation or Deep Space Nine appearances in Star Trek. So the argument was like, oh yeah, they weren't actually in a bar, they were just in the holodeck and I nerded out, so just... Oh, uh, geez, yeah, I could feel the scludge coming out here now because me, I'm, I'm not much of a big Star Trek guy, so I'm like, whatever you said, I agree too because I have no <laughs> idea, so. I appreciate your politeness, my friend. <laughs> yeah, so I guess we'll get into the uh, movie. Well, before I get into this film, I have a little story for you because I always like to bring in a little bit of stories before we talk about the film. Absolutely. Um, so many of you guys out there, once I talk about this film, I just like to say it is free on Vudu. Yep. However, if you watch it on Vudu, it is chopped up. It is censored uh they've cut language out for some odd reason and they've cut out the gore yeah so if you find it i definitely recommend hunting down the dvd of it because there is no blu-ray release and uh and i happen to have them in my hand right here the wonderful lenticular vhs covers here uh but uh yeah so if you know what i'm talking about with lenticular covers it might be the dead giveaway that is jack frost 
two. I have both one and two, but I want to talk about two simply because I feel like it doesn't get enough love as the first one. There's plenty of podcasts out there for the first film. And uh, even Joe Bob did it right. Exactly. Joe Bob did the first one. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I have the vinegar syndrome Blu-ray here. And uh, yeah, that was a 2K scan from the original negatives here. So that got love. But the first or the second film is the one that I feel like doesn't get enough notification. I actually have it playing in the background, too, on DVD again. But uh, yeah, so Jack Frost 2, Revenge of the Mutant Killer Snowman uh, came out for in 2000. And I feel like it just doesn't get enough love. Granted, it's not as good as the first film. It, it's weird. Here's the thing. A lot of Christmas movies, not necessarily horror films, but whenever they try to make a sequel to like somewhat successful type film, they've always got to try to put it on an island. It's bizarre. Have you noticed that? Like Christmas on an island, Christmas Vacation 2, oh, Cousin Eddie's Island Adventure. There you uh, go. Fucking piece of shit that was. But that, <laughs> no, it's horrible. Like literally you watch it. I'm like, my fucking God, how did this get made? <laughs> yeah, I find myself <laughs> asking that quite a bit. Yeah, it's it's an insult to the first Christmas vacation, but uh, you know, and 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 anyway, but uh, yeah, Jack Frost too. It's a film that takes place on Christmas time in an island that's supposed to be like the the Bahamas, but it's actually Santa Clarita. There you go, California. Yeah. Very clearly not an island. <laughs> yeah, and I was reading some stuff the the making of this film here. They were supposed to get it nice and sunny, and of course, the four weeks of filming on here, it was all rain and gray days. So. Yeah, and you can tell like it. Everything looks dingy which is honestly kind of funny you know you could add that it's like it's because of jack frost that like you have this haze but really it's just because like they had the worst fucking luck ever oh they did yeah and the thing is they had the worst luck on the first film because they filmed that up in big bear california and expecting there to be snow there was no snow so they had to put uh it was like foam and bubbles and stuff to make it look like snow and (laughs) jack frost uh, i don't know just be like the mark of bad luck for weather at least and also like you know you there's often talks of like movie blue balls where a movie sets up a sequel and then it never happens my favorite one of course is the end of masters of the universe when skeletor pops out and he's like suck my dick and then this one ends with jack zilla and it never happens i'm like that's just like the ultimate bad luck like this movie clearly was made on a budget of like five dollars how come nobody could like pull together and get ten dollars to make jack zilla happen so i think you're right to a certain extent this whole franchise is a little cursed it is. And the thing is, uh, w- with this film here, I'm not sure if the vi- the voodoo video quality was the same way, but for s- they used like it looks like a mini DV camera because it looks a lot more video-y than the first film. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like you get that real quick uh, motion. It kind of looks like a soap opera, you know, and they're like fat. It- it's hard to explain. Like It looks like 60 frames per second versus 24 in some scenes. So kind of bizarre on that. But um, y- yeah, so funny story with Jack Frost, too. So when I was about okay this came out so the first one was out in video stores back in 1996 whenever the first one came out there but the second movie came out in 2000 so i was about 10 years old at the time and uh you know i always i i kept asking you know my parents and my brother but uh, to, i'm like can we rent jack frost can we rent jack frost look at the th- cover and they're like no that movie looks that's a scary movie i said i fucking watch puppet master and creep show why can't i watch jack frost and uh so in my so basically i wasn't allowed to watch jack frost one or two 
And the thing is, as a kid, you know, your imagination runs wild. So you see the covers of this here. Uh, and the thing is, you kind of build this movie in your mind, at oh, least yeah. at least for, for me. So I imagine this horrifying movie that I was not allowed to watch with this killer snowman lurking a deserted cabin filled with like, you know, w- trees without any leaves. And it's in the middle of the snow and it's this atmospheric snowy film with this snowman with this huge mouth of razor sharp teeth and it's stalking people with an axe and that was the movie in my mind oh yeah and and then i finally got around to renting it and i'm like this is not what i had in mind yeah Yeah, this is not but uh you got spies and fucking espionage and mutations and stuff yeah it was goofy but the thing is um before i watched jack frost we rented jack frost too because that was the one that was available at drug mart so if any of you listeners are from ohio yeah there was a drug mart they used to rent vhs tapes and they always uh had jack frost one and two and uncle sam there you go that was a lenticular vhs as well too so when i watched this it was weird because it wasn't the movie i was expecting but i was so thrown off by the uh it, it was a weird mix because I used to watch it in the basement and it was this weird mix of it's humorous, but it's, it's very violent and gory. So it was weird. It like, like kind of like when you're a kid watching Monty Python and the Holy Grail, for example, you're seeing all this thing where it's comedy, but then it's also very mean spirited, either gore or uh, or death. So it's it was this weird mix. And I yeah. guess that's kind of formed the person who I am today, because I love stupid movies like these here. Of course. And, uh, you know, when it's on a lower budget and when it's meant to be goofy, but violent at the same time, it's it's hard to put a mixture of that. It's this weird sensation. I for you mutant goons out there that are listening, maybe you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. But uh uh, you know, being silly and then having just violent deaths, it's a it's a weird mix. It's a very weird mix. I love that juxtaposition, though, man. Like, I love gore that is absurd and funny. Like, I think that's I don't know why I think it's so funny. I I, I one time was talking about like survival instinct. And you've heard the expression like there, but for the grace of God, go I right where you're like the thrill of like living through something. Right. And then you add that to the nature of comedy. And maybe that's what elevates it. Maybe I'm giving too much credit. And I just like special effects. But I love it. And like you, you know, we were kind of alluding to this. I actually like this one more than the first one. I love the little snowball buddies. I think they're like awesome and delightful. And I think maybe that goes back to me loving gremlins because like uh, these are obviously nowhere near the caliber of gremlins, but maybe it's just the mischief of it all that makes it a little even more fun. But I I can't uh, imagine what it was like for you to see this one first when this one is so heavily contingent on the first one. Like it is is referenced exhaustively throughout the whole movie of like, oh, well, last Christmas, I gave you my heart, but the vi- oh, sorry, I hate that song. Keep going. <laughs> no, well, yeah, this one does heavily imply. So it built up the first movie for me because I remember when I was a kid, I was trying to rent the first one and no video store had it for whatever reason. They only had the second one. So, you know, when they re- keep referencing the first movie, you're building it up to be like this, man, the first movie must be this, you know, amazing, like cinematic masterpiece. And uh, the thing with the second one, too, it reminded me a lot of it, it's weird because in the early 2000s, you seem to have this craze, like like right when Saw came around, too, with this with this push and violence and violence and comedy seem to be a big thing on there but it reminded me of another film called club dread from Broken oh Lizard. yes 
Penelope. Penelope, yes. And in fact, a lot of the same – this came out before Club Dread and there's a lot of characters similar to the ones in that film because there's the Jamaican guy. The, the, yeah, oh, the, right. The, the Rastafarian man. And then you have like the – just the absurd drinkers and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, so Club Dread is very similar to Jack Frost too if it took place on Christmas. <laughs> Dude, that's actually a very, very apt description. It feels very similar. Yeah. And the reason too – you know, I enjoyed this movie as well too. And see, I have it playing out in the background and there's a lot of gore on this DVD. This is up there with poultry guys type gore where blood just spraying everywhere. But Jack Frost isn't in this film as much as he is in the first one. It's weird. It's crazy, right? You get kind of that Jaws element, but you also get like the weird voiceovers. So he's kind of within and without. It's kind of hard to build the suspense, but then I, I, I'm torn because I do like the capriciousness of like him narrating as he's talking about being like ice on a woman's nipple. But then at the same point, maybe just being a little bit more subtle would make it have a bigger release at the end, if you will. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that definitely would be at the I just don't know why they didn't show him enough. But uh, I did happen to talk to Joe Castro, um, who's a good friend of mine. And I've been in a few of his films. Joe Castro, actually, before he started doing his own stuff, he worked on a, an effects crew that worked on this film. So he worked on making those little snowball puppets. They're delightful. I think they're yeah. great. Another cool thing, too, is that earlier this year, I, I, I was part of this show on Troma Now, on Troma's streaming service called Mulligan's Monsters. And uh, I teamed up with Joe to kind of make a monster. And uh, we have it. So I guess it's kind of cool. And he's like, oh, yeah, I use this from some of the same foam latex from uh, Rob Botton. Use some of it for the thing with yes. the dogs tentacles come out and then it was some of the same foam that was left over from jack frost 2 so i get you know those little snow puppets are part of that little incel monster that i used for my short film that's amazing dude yeah some good heart in there but uh another thing too i wanted to bring up so the director michael cooney he hasn't really done anything besides i mean he's done a few writing uh, of shows here and there but jack frost 1 and 2 were like his magnum opus it seems yeah i wrote and direct both of them right yeah, and I wish he did a little more stuff because Jack Frost is it's strongly, you know, an American film, but it just has – since he's British, he has like that British sense of humor. And I just feel like um, th the Brits have this very dark sense of humor. Like I said, I, I keep bringing back Monty Python. You know, it's hilarious, but – there's a lot of dark stuff in, oh, in yeah, the, dude. You know, the, like the meaning of life. And I remember being scarred by the, the organ, uh, the <laughs> yeah. organ removal scene. And uh, I, I think it's just weird because you get that dark humor perf perfectly pushed in here. And like I said, for, for me, I just feel like, like this is a very fun film. It relies heavily on the first one. So yeah. if you haven't seen the first movie, they're going to be referencing it every two minutes or so on here. And the other thing, too, it definitely feels lower budget than the first film. hundred percent. It, it definitely shows. Because I was thinking as I was watching it, like, is it that they're not showing Jack because they can't afford to? Because, like, we already know what Jack looks like. So it's kind of a weird plot device to kind of do the Jaws thing where you're not seeing him full body for so long because it's a sequel. Like We've already fucking seen the guy. So, you know, the, obviously there's issues with the costume looking kind of different. So it was interesting. Yeah, no, that's one thing, too. And the thing is, too, they use um, some guns later on in this film and, and they use plastic guns there. And throughout the whole film, I think the, the CIA guy, he has a handgun and you could clearly tell it's just silver spray paints over like a like a, a Nerf gun. It's, oh, it's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> so, and, and the other thing, too, Joe was telling me, I think it was last Thanksgiving, I had Chris or at Thanksgiving dinner with with him and then Jackie Kong and um, and Steven Escobar and uh, yeah they were just saying that I don't remember if Joe really had like a good time on this film set or not because basically what they were doing is they put bubbles 
and you can, and that's another reason it looks lower budget too. Uh, the snow is bubbles, and they just oh, yeah. lay it all over the, uh, the 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 resort area that it's in. And I don't know, like the thing that's the thing too. Like it really picks up in the last half because there's a lot more effects with Jack Frost either uh, turning into ice cubes, like you said, with the girl on the nipple. And uh, there's a scene later on in the film where he turns into this this cube. And and that's pretty, you know what I mean? Like, granted, now it looks goofy, but imagine seeing that as a 10 year old kid. It's like, man, this snowman just kind of forms into this cube and he puts his icicles and it just kind of closes in. And that's traumatizing stuff as a kid. <laughs> I actually so really like that. It's so bizarre. Like, it's really like Legends of the Hidden Temple or something where it's just very like Aztec death, but like to be portrayed with like a frozen, you know, icicle. It's just, it's just odd there's so many choices in this movie where i'm just like wait what like the bananas and the blood exchange and like the coffee like there's so many things where i'm like why that but then at the same point like kind of makes it amazing <laughs> yeah it's it's weird because here's the thing about the opening scene so the way jack frost gets uh, resurrected for those of you who haven't seen it they put like his anti because in the first movie they kill him by pouring him in a tub of antifreeze in yep. a truck and then they bury it and then this one they have the jug of antifreeze and they put it in this green like ooze like, it's like a big fish tank and he gets resurrected because the janitor knocks in a coffee cup but there's no snow on the coffee cup it's because the, the coffee cup has an image of a christmas snowflake so so odd <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just bizarre and then uh spoiler alert for those who haven't seen it because we already already said it but uh yeah jack frost dies because he has a, a banana allergy which is like <laughs> The fact is, like, the fact that he's, like, blood tied to the cop from the first one, like, it's just so odd. Like, why not make it the guy whose DNA is on the coffee cup? Like, give me the direct thing. Because, like, oh, you did exchange. Some of your blood did have ice in it last year, didn't it? It's like, it's not even a fucking flashback. You're just telling me exposition. It was so tedious. But, you know, I guess that's why, you know, the this movie, because uh, let me tell you, Dougie boy. If you go on Rotten Tomatoes, Michael Keaton's Jack Frost has the 19%. And I thought for sure that this one and Jack Frost from 96 would pass it up. They both fail hard by comparison. So I guess that's why it's worse than that. Yeah, you know, I don't really go by by Rotten Tomatoes things because that's more of like the uh, the crowd of like people who are serious. Like, yeah, the best movie in the world is Wonder Woman. And, and yeah. I love Fast and the Furious 8. But these films, you you really just got to have either an understanding for or, or like the thing is, this film would be great for something the, for the Frida Cinema to show with a big crowd. Yes, I would love that. You, yeah, because it's not just the movie by itself what makes it special. It's it's seeing these films with a lot of the people that that have the same similar interests. You know, you're watching it as a joke movie, but everyone's having a fucking good time in a theater, and uh, I think that's really what brings people together. Because then they can make an emotional connection, like, oh, I remember seeing this in the video store and blockbuster, and it traumatized me. Or you know, I, I never watched Jack Frost, but I made my own movie in my mind about the the scary imagery, and then I watched the film, and it turned into something completely different. I completely so, agree. Like, so like we've talked. Like the communal nature of film is so important to me, and that's one of the things that it, it worries me moving forward. Because you know HBO just announced like all of 2021's movies are going to be in theater and on HBO Max. And as a practical person, as like a father of kids, like I don't want to go to a fucking disease room and sit around a bunch of ghouls who are drooling over their popcorn. But at the same point, I don't really want to watch Wonder Woman in my fucking living room. 
Because you know what's going to happen? I'm going to pull out my goddamn phone. I'm going to be on it the entire time. Or I'm going to have to take a leak. Or one of my kids is going to start screaming. Or I'm going to take that dish to the dishwasher. Like One of the great parts about like going to a theater or, or watching something together is this almost sense of like accountability you get. Where like if I was watching a movie you were showing me, I wouldn't want to disrespect you by being on my phone the whole time. And also like the act of paying for something. I'm not going to waste my money being on my phone the whole time. And I feel like it's going to be lost. Do you worry about that? Uh, I, I am. Yeah. Th- th- that's the problem too. You know what I mean? But here's the thing for like, like for your kids, for example, th- have they been to a movie theater before? A couple of times. I mean, my okay. two year old, she, I mean, she got to see a, a f- probably two or three movies, but you know, obviously she's wearing headphones and it's with mom and dad. So I don't even think that she's going to have that recollection in, the, in years to come. And that's what I'm saying too. We're, we're kind of banking off what we know right now and how we feel like, oh yeah, this is a good experience. But for the people that aren't going to experience that, you know, like with Warner Brothers pulling their whole thing out to H- to HBO now, you can't miss something you never experienced. That's I guess point. that's, so it's, you know, we may feel sad about it, but uh, you know, we, the kids will find something else. I guess a good thing here too, it's kind of non, non-conventional, but I've tried it out because my brother ended up buying one of them over the holidays, was a, a VR headset. Oh yeah? The Oculus. And the thing is, you can watch movies on the VR headset through streaming. And the thing is, I tried it and it's like a personal movie theater. You put on some headphones and you have that. You got your own personal movie theater and you don't really want to move around because you know you can't see shit except the screen. So I guess there's that. It's a weird way, but honestly, that's like the futuristic demolition man way. Yeah, you dude. know what I mean. So maybe if we can't get movie theaters back in, you know, if, or they're all going to go bankrupt, there, there's VR with with headphones, and I you guess. can use that to learn how to knit, which is important. You could, yeah, <laughs> you could do that. So, although I would probably watch more Pornhub with VR headsets than, uh, dude, the know, amount of like prostheses they have, like robot dick suckers and stuff that go along with that in Korea. I'm saying repressed cultures come up with some fun stuff. But to your other point, like I really think it's interesting because I wonder if in generations to come, the Fast and the Furious, the Avengers, those things are going to die down. Because one of the reasons why those movies still exist is because you want to go see it. Like think about the like when was the last multi-billion dollar movie you saw that wasn't a bombastic action set piece or something like that because you're paying for the surround sound you're paying for the dolby you're paying for the you know the 15k on the giant screen so i think that maybe it might be cool for like the art of filmmaking and the artistry of you know muted subversive art to be able to just sit down and have everything kind of have like a leveling of the playing field, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense now, too, because the thing is, uh, you know, all these big Warner Brothers movies, they're coming out to streaming. Here's the thing. You can watch the newest Avengers or Wonder Woman. Obviously, you can tell I'm not a big fan of these superhero movies, but yeah. you know what I mean? Like. You, literally, kids could go on there, watch Wonder Woman, and then next thing you know, it'll be say, it's like, oh, watch next uh, to stream, you know, Drive-In Massacre, Toxic Avenger, you know what I mean? So it's it's it gives you that formidable place where you couldn't really do that in movie theaters because you wouldn't, you know, movies like that wouldn't get the time of day next to, you know, Fast and Furious 30. Right. But it, it's something. So I'm really curious to see how this is going to turn out, especially now with 4K TVs. I ended up recently just getting a, a 4K LG player, and I was just surprised. I'm like, man this is 
I just watched Goodfellas and I watched um what did I just watch in 4K Rambo three. Uh, I'm just like man, man, this is like really good, like quality rises. I feel like I'm in the cinema watching it. So it's technology's come a long way, especially if you get a 4K player. Yeah, Rambo three looked amazing on the screen on the on the TV. I think any Rambo movie looks great on any TV because that franchise fucking rules. And I still argue that First Blood could very easily be argued to be a horror film. So oh, First Blood is yeah. You watch it, it's it's more about the uh, this guy going through this. Granted, it was um, Brian was it Brian Dennehy was the cop. Yeah, dude. Yeah, it's his fault because here what's crazy. Think about the Rambo series. It all started because he wanted something to eat. Yep. And the cop didn't let him. There would be no Rambo if, if he would have got his McDonald's breakfast. It's just like suicidal so, tendencies. He just wanted a fucking Pepsi. Mm-hmm. Man, it's 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 crazy. By the way, too, I, I guess, uh, you know, bringing up all this gore and exploitation type stuff, I really got to say uh, Rambo 4, for those of you who are listening, I honestly think that's the most brutal. It's a great film. Yeah, dude. Uh, I, yeah, it's exploitation, it's action, it's explosive, it's 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 extremely brutal and gory. He rips out a fucker's of, throat, he disembowels somebody, you see people eaten by pigs. Yeah, you see that, you see kid. I mean, you know, granted, it, it, that's kind of reality at the time when that was, but uh, the, the thing is, you see kids being thrown in the fire, kids getting shot, mothers being chopped up, the, the main bad guy in the movie, he even rapes uh, like an eight-year-old kid. Yeah. And, and you know what I mean? That's like extreme, like, exploitation territory. And, uh, you know, Sylvester Stallone put it on the big screen, which, you know, I, I guess he, he, you know, that's one of the most extreme, like, uh, fil- big budget films that I've seen in a while. Cause I bought that on 4k. It was on oh, sale yeah. at Best Buy for like eight bucks for the 4k. Hell yeah. So, so yeah, definitely. If you're into like a bigger budget, ex- if you want an extreme film that borderlines on, uh, you know, the intense brutalness of things like, uh, carcinoma or, uh, angels melancholy, like that type of, you know, class three type films that uh you know are hush hush yeah, definitely check out rambo four because that movie is brutal as fuck i think those movies might have been why i kind of hated the expendables because i was like this is so clean and safe and yeah everybody's in it but to what point and purpose like this is so banal versus you know you have the like a movie like this where sure he's in his 70s and sure they're speeding up him running through the forest but there's so much grit and gnarliness and like how when was the last time you watched an action movie where you were like holy shit and i didn't do that once during any of the expendables films no and most of those are pg-13 you know what i mean it's, yep. it felt more like a commercial thing than uh than anything serious and that's why i'm just happy that uh you know sylvester stallone he directed rambo 4 yep those of you who don't know sylvester stallone's son which he sadly uh, passed away committed suicide yeah he was one of the the top heads of grindhouse releasing so if you're familiar with grindhouse releasing they put out uh you know great restorations on cannibal holocaust the beyond pieces cat in the brain cannibal ferox so you know i'm sure sylvester stallone knew that that grittiness of of the you know the grindhouse type cinema and he really pushed everything he did with rambo 4 so so yeah so definitely i know we're supposed to be talking about jack frost too and all but uh you know since sylvester stallone pretty i think i'm pretty much since his son knew about it he knew about those exploitation grindhouse type films and uh rambo 4 really is that you know this very very um strong and sadistic action-packed uh film rambo 4 i couldn't recommend it more that's probably one of my favorite action films of all time yeah absolutely that's one of the things that's fucking crazy like you know rocky balboa creed like he does this where he's in these movies and he helps craft these movies where I'm like, this shit shouldn't work. I shouldn't like this movie. I shouldn't like Creed. I shouldn't like where they make him infidelitous. 
but I loved it. I gobbled it up with a spoon. And like, I don't know. I, I would love to see Sylvester Stallone make Jackzilla Jack Frost part three. Oh, I would love that too. That's what we need. In fact, uh, hopefully, you know, now that we're talking about it, hopefully it gets more people to know. But Jack Frost too, I think definitely, definitely needs a 4K, uh, not even 4K, maybe just a Blu-ray release. Because the thing is, it's so, the home video releases are all mismatched. The voodoo one that's on streaming, it's cut to shit. The dialogue's cut out. The gore's cut out. Um, the VHS, at least the one I have, it's an R-rated cut where they cut out the, the violence is in there, but the you can't say fuck or shit. Or else it gets so cut weird. out of that film. So this DVD, which I believe the DVD is out of print right now. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, it is. Okay, yeah. So I better hold on to this one and give it a few kisses. But uh, yeah, so the DVD is really the only way to get it truly uncut and uncensored. Because I'm, I, like I said, I'm watching it on the background here, and uh, yeah, it, it's pretty. It's goofy gore, um, but it's much gorier than the original film. Exactly. That's one of the things I like so, about it. Like I honestly, it's everything is ramped up. It's silly. It's it's also just bizarre, like the bananas, like the fact that the main character's got like this PTSD, and then we haven't gotten to it. Doug Butt fucking Jones is in this movie, like the guy who's always in makeup and prostheses and everything. It's just him being a guy. It's so weird. Yeah, it's it's yeah. You hardly ever see him out of out of costume and stuff like that. So you know, you know there's there's some decent. Uh, like I said, it, it's a great film. Maybe not if you're by yourself, but if you watch it with a crowd of people or just friends or family they'll definitely get a kick out of it here because i remember when like i said when i rented this from drug mart back in you know the early 2000s um my parents they're like this is the stupidest movie i've ever seen you're like that's kind of the point <laughs> that's that's the idea yeah it's because the thing is like i said joe castro did a lot of the the gore and then the snow the little snowball babies and uh, man I, you know what next time i should ask if he has any more of the snowball babies Seriously, i'll pay some top cool dollar to for that shit yeah, or just something. Make like little plushies of those. I, I'd buy the shit out of them. There you go, Trick or Treat Studios. Make the make either a Jack Frost, uh, you know, plushie, or, or uh, make those little snowball monsters. Because uh, yeah, I'd buy those. I'll replace my elf on a shelf with that shit any goddamn day. <laughs> so, so that's the thing too. Now, like I said, when I when I say like when I first brought it up, I'm like, oh, it's not as good as the first film. Here's the thing. I'm when it comes to like holiday movies, Christmas movies, Christmas war movies, I wax my carrot to just the Christmas lights. Like I said, besides Halloween, Christmas is my favorite holiday. Yeah. And I love the aesthetics of Christmas, Christmas lights. You've got the you, the snow, you've got the wind howling outside. You've got people in sky. For, for me, like all that aesthetic, I absolutely love it. Like Christmas, represented in horror films is my favorite and um while this one takes place on the island most of the time it doesn't get that christmasy feel like you get in the Ever. first film even when there so is snow outside yeah it does not feel like christmas no and, and like i said for I, i'm sure there's some people out there too because I've, I've read forums you know like i said if you're a horror fan and you love christmas themed horror movies um you probably wax your carrot more to the first one than the second one but and then the other thing too like black the original black christmas oh, so I fucking good it drives me crazy that that movie isn't like on the top of everybody's horror list like it is amazing yeah it's and here's the thing too like as a kid i watched it and i didn't really uh i didn't really understand it or i was kind of bored by it yeah but as an adult watching it it's it just you got okay you got to watch black christmas this 
this Christmas, buy the Shout Factory Blu-ray, put, string up some Christmas lights, give you give yourself that Argento lighting with the Christmas tree in the corner, and it just it just reeks atmosphere. Like the beginning of it, you get the you feel you feel cold just watching it. You get the Christmas. Uh, they're doing their um their their Christmas singing outside and the caroling. Uh, yeah. It's, it's yeah the caroling. The, it's the kids' choir and uh, the, just the whole movie with someone in the attic. I think that is like. It's it's crazy. I think Black Christmas is probably one of my favorite, you know, reeked in atmosphere Christmas movies. The the original one, the sequ- the the um the remake from the early two thousands isn't bad either. That one's more like a Fulci film because there's yeah. so much eyeball eyeball uh, gouging in that yep. film. Yeah, and uh, I apologize to those people who have seen the Blumhouse one. I have not, and I just I yeah. kind of don't want to. Yeah, that turns me. That's like a movie made for teenagers to go and it, like I said, th- that Blumhouse one to me it looks. Less like a film, like le- less like less like people put their heart and soul into making a film, more as making a product for teenagers to be on their phone and uh, go see it in the theater and, and leave. Yeah, because it's PG thirteen. I wholly agree because that that's one of those movies where it's like, oh, we're just using the metadata, we're just using mm-hmm. the fact that this has a presence online, taking it off of like, like just watch the original, watch Margot Kidder, she is magnetic. Every fucking scene she's in. Watch Marion Waldman. Magnetic. Every fucking scene. And they're not even the main characters. They're just side pieces. And like, in terms of like conceptual good horror, like I don't know. I, I fucking love that movie. And even like you said, 2000 whatever, I saw that one first. Then I saw the original. And when I saw the, the first remake, I was like, okay, this is fine. It's just, you know, I could see where it's derivative and stuff, but I liked it. Then I saw the other one. I was like, holy shit. Like, why didn't they just put this out in theaters again? And it's, people just don't get it for a lot of it. Blows my mind. Yeah, like I said, if you have the chance, you definitely hunt it down. I believe it's streaming for free on Shout Factory's uh, app on Roku. Um, but if you buy the buy the buy the Blu-ray because it's up, uh, it's um. Uh, they scanned it from their 4K negative, and it looks great. And like I said, you got to have a, a sound system where it's just like oozing an atmosphere. Because for some reason, maybe it's just my crazy mind or whatever. But when I watch it, like the opening scene for that film, like it makes me feel cold. Like it just it feels like it's warm inside, cold outside, and just the whole idea of someone lurking in your attic and you not knowing—that's fucking creepy. And so. the phone calls, dude. Like it is so bizarre to me how accurate that movie is in 2020 when you have like incel dudes who do that kind of shit to girls on a daily basis now and like that it blows it away yeah and it's shocking too especially for the time that came around too i remember when i uh i i bought the shout factory one and my brother watched it with me he's like he's like what the hell this is pretty perverted he's like yeah come here i want to suck your cunt yeah let me right? finger your twat come here i'm like you man you, yeah that's 2020 in a nutshell with these incels it's, it's fucking insane these guys like you know that's one of the things why you know so many guys act like locker room talk like, obviously i'm a profane guy but when it comes down to it like no you don't cat call women like you don't treat people that way and like this is one of those movies where I know we're supposed to be talking about Jack Frost too, but I love in this because it is so vile and repulsive and it just shows and it's like, dude, this is just one step askew from stuff that guys do all the time. If you've ever sent an unsolicited picture of your dick to a girl, you're basically the exact same thing as a guy in this movie. Like it's the same thing to me. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty crazy. Like I said, if you haven't seen the original black Christmas, I'm not going to spoil the ending for you. Cause I think the ending is like a big original saw like ending where it's like, Oh fuck. Yeah, dude. It was that all along. 
long, but I won't spoil that for you if you haven't seen it. But uh, yeah, definitely make yourself some hot cocoa. You know, watch it in your you know turn that movie on and uh, yeah, like it's just gonna reek with the atmosphere. Especially if you're, it's it's much more mature. I think seeing it as an adult than as a kid because I think as a kid you'd be kind of bored by it, if not shocked by you know the vulgarity of the phone calls. But uh, yeah. other than that, yeah. But yeah, so on to Jack Frost too here. I, I think I'm getting down to the very nitty gritty here, but I do want to say that uh, you know for Jack Frost too, there's some there's some great kill scenes, especially that hark back to Looney Tunes. Um, I, I like I said, I know you watched it on Voodoo, and I believe a lot of the gore is cut. But there's a scene where like he's trying to kill these girls like at a campfire, and uh, he keeps throwing like icicles down. He's like, oh That's fuck so it, funny. oh fuck it, and then uh, he keeps missing because this girl keeps walking around. He just he turns into like the snow anvil and just crushes her. And on the DVD, you see like the aftermath, and they just say, oh no, we've got a problem here, and it's like the legs and the guts all spread apart, and um, there's even a scene where uh, some girl's eyes are gotcha with uh, with salad uh, tongs. tongs. Yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah. So, like I said, it's it's all fun. I, I, like I said, you don't see Jack Frost as much as you, do, as you do in the first film, and that's probably for budget reasons. But it's it's still a fun time, and and it's got my recommendation. Like I said, I saw it as a kid, and uh, it, it traumatized me because of the weird humor and the gore mixed in it was just a weird mixture i can't explain it i i, I just can't <laughs> so if you're new to christmas movie definitely check out jack frost one and two and give jack frost two some love because it doesn't uh doesn't seem to get it let me ask you right now. one final question on this movie so mm-hmm. i'm a big calvin and Hobbes fan mm-hmm. and in 1992 they released attack of the deranged mutant killer monster snow goons do you think that the revenge of the mutant killer snowman is in any way derivative of that? I mean, I'm pretty sure it is because Kelvin and Hobbes, uh, was that American uh, comic or was that a British comic? It's Bill Watterson, so I think he's actually Canadian. Oh, Canadian. Okay. Um, and probably, I mean, <laughs> with a tagline like that, the revenge of the mutant killer snowman. Um, yeah, they probably took it from a few things. but he- Oh, no, he's actually from Washington, D.C. Oh, he's from Washington, D.C.? Oh. Close enough to Canada. There we go. So, yeah. But uh, yeah, so, so like like I'll say, if you need a good Christmas movie, definitely check out Jack Frost 1 and 2. Uh, whereas Jack Frost tried to border horror and, and, and comedy. It still had some decent horror scenes. Uh, but Jack Frost 2, they just went, you know what? Fuck it. We're going to make this a full-blown comedy. And that, they even – what's the first thing you think of when you see a, t- a tagline of Revenge of the Mutant Killer Snowman? Yeah. Or what is it? What is it? Icing and or yeah, icing and slicing. I love it. He's icing. Yeah, he's icing and slicing. And then the first one is he's chilling and killing. So okay. So now for Jackzilla, what are we gonna do? What's another pun that we can do? He's blowing and snowing. I don't know. What do you got for me, Doug? Don't leave me hanging. Oh, okay. Uh, is it cold outside or is that just your? I don't. I don't fucking know. <laughs> I was gonna say, was that your shriveled up dick or is it just cold outside? <laughs> I, don't I don't fucking know I, I apologize he's a blizzard for your gizzard he's <laughs> what, what rhymes with choking and snow puns he's uh i'm gonna keep thinking about this for a bit <laughs> you, oh, you threw me i got yeah. it because he's he's a zilla he means he's huge he's gonna eat you right he's plowing and chowing and it's him eating the little tiny peoples oh there we go yeah he's plowing and chowing okay there we go all right, so now it's my turn to kick off Sistmas here on Slasher's podcast. That is right. For the entire month, I'm going to be featuring our friends from the film Sist, uh, which I am so high on, and I was not paid to endorse this film. I have not gotten any monetary compensation. I just love that it exists. I'm not getting a cut of anything. I just love this. I love the people involved. I love the passion. Every 
thing about this movie. I've already watched it three times. I love the production. I love the enthusiasm. I love the runtime. Oh my God, I mentioned it in every interview I've done already. But this week, I'm interviewing director and writer Tyler Russell. This guy is great. He inspires me. He makes me excited. And I'm so excited to share week by week for all of December our friends and their projects. So please enjoy my interview with Tyler Butt fucking Russell. Let's rock you it in. This is the interview portion of Slashers that I still don't know how to cue in. My name is Jake and with me for the first time is Tyler Russell, director extraordinaire. How the hell are you, my good friend? I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm just living the dream. I got it. I, so before we got recording, I told you, Travis had reached out to me before my kid was born. And at that point, I was fairly certain that my show was going to be over. I'm like, this is, this is a lot of fucking work. And then I see Stuff for Assist. And then I see the trailer. And then I see the screener. And I'm like, this is why I continue to do this bullshit and subject myself to the slings and arrows of the internet. Thank you for creating this work. Thank you for those words. <laughs> So uh, before we get into Cyst, you and I had talked about kind of going through your filmography a little bit more generally. And today, as we're recording this, Here Comes Rusty, your first feature film is released. Congratulations, Mazel Tov. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. How exciting is that? It's great. It's uh, it's bittersweet in a lot of ways. Um, you know, Fred Willard was in that film. Yeah. He's passed away. And uh, Bruce Hampton, who was the lead actor, he's also passed away. Uh, my producer has passed away. So it's there's there's a lot of bittersweetness to it. It's been a long time coming. Uh, but what a kooky, weird, cartoony, fun film. I think everybody right now would enjoy to watch this film because it's, it's just... Such an easy watch. Uh, I mean, you have Mark Burchard from American Movie with Fred Willard playing putt-putt golf. Like, come on, that's that's a good time. Yeah, let me tell you. So when I first saw, I think it was from your Instagram, I saw a picture of Fred Willard with the cowboy shirt. And I was like, oh, Joe Bob, wait a second. That's not Joe Bob. That's Fred Willard. How, what the, and I'd never seen it. And then here we go. Now I know why I hadn't seen it. This sounds exciting. Is he riding a, a Segway horse from what I've seen? Yeah, horse-headed Segway. Yeah, probably not the safest thing to do, but... It was really funny and fun to watch him uh, on that. Hell yeah. Now I want a rodeo of just horse-headed segues. That sounds way more entertaining. <laughs> and humane from a, a weirdo vegan perspective. So <laughs> in terms of working with Fred, what was that like? I have never heard an unkind word about him going all the way back from when he was in uh, Salem's Lot in the 70s, for Christ's sake. Fred, um, yeah. So, you know, it's really intimidating. That was my first featured film. And then you have Fred Willard showing up and he's he was a legend, you know, and I was such a big fan. I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe Fred Willard's going to be here. The first day he was there. Um, our driver forgot to pick him up. Oh, so that, no. <laughs> that was a great start. Great oh. start. So I was like, Fred, so nice to meet you. How's it going? He's like, oh, I would have been here earlier, but nobody picked me up. I was like, oh, this is going to be good. Nothing like making your star feel important, like being left oh. like some redheaded stepchild at the bus stop. <laughs> just like why he's like thinking why am i in the middle of nowhere alabama doing this um but no after that it was he was such a nice guy just enjoyable fun funny and everything he said you just wanted to laugh at and you know he ad-libs so many things and just like what's he gonna do next what's yeah. he gonna do 
And I mean, there are so many takes we were just you hear people laughing in the background because just everything he says is, is just absolutely hilarious. It seems like he's written out all these different takes, you know, spent weeks doing it, but no, he's just that quick. He was that awesome. awesome. Is that like exhausting or is it thrilling throughout? Because I can imagine you're, you're the guy in charge. You're like, I have a fucking schedule. I have a budget. <laughs> I have to do things. But at the same point, you got to be a fan, right? Oh, yeah. I just I could have done it all day. But that's why you have an assistant director that, ah. you know, playing around, having fun. They're like, okay, that was, you know, five hilarious takes. Let's keep going. Make that him movie, be the bad guy. We, we had no time in that movie. That was a, I think it was a 12 to 14 day shoot. And wow. it was, every move was a dolly move. And it was really uh, overly ambitious first time director, bad mistakes. So, but are you, are you happy with the end result? <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, it was, it was a blast. Everybody had a blast making it. Um, I still watch and laugh at it. The, there's a there's a blooper reel at the end that makes me it makes me tear up every time I see it. So that's yeah, awesome. very very happy to have that that film. Yeah, I honestly I love blooper reels because it gives you that glimpse into like these are all people. Like at the end yeah. of the day, you know the stories of Christian Bale on Terminator Salvation yelling at a guy. Those are so few and far between <laughs> compared to like the humanity that we get to see. Right? Like these are these are great people interacting as a certain point like friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like when you saw Rush Hour, what do you remember? Oh, God, those blooper reels are blooper. fucking hilarious. <laughs> oh, I love Jackie Chan, though. I mean, it's nothing funny. that makes me happier than watching him fuck up things that I couldn't even do on my best day. You know what? He's like rumble in the Bronx, right? When he gets crushed oh, by the fucking God. pinball machine, I die laughing. But I'm like, if somebody pushed a pinball machine I, to me, I would cry and sue them. <sighs> oh, God. Yeah. Just thinking of all the faults. Yeah, it's terrible. It's terrible, but it's so fun to watch. So another feature that you did that's already out and it's on Tubi, this damn thing I love to plug for free because it's free, was Texas Cotton. Mm-hmm. I have some trivia for you, my friend. Okay. Now you did a short film, then you did a feature length, and you have a website, which was TexasCottonMovie.com, if I'm not mistaken. Did you know that your website was purchased by a Texas roofing company that has two blog posts? <laughs> that's the kind of research i do on this show ridiculous okay wow that's that is crazy well good for them enjoy it enjoy that domain roofing company all that metadata son (laughs) yeah god that is bizarre okay i still get like spam emails from godaddy from like domain names i bought like 10 years ago like hey do you want to renew it i'm like still no I used to, I had a band and I bought the domain name watchmefuckmygrandma.com because I was going to put the band name and then route it to that so that anybody would get pranked and go, hey, why is that in your search history? Uh, And so every so often I get an email where it's like, hey, do you want to buy this again? And I'm like, really don't. I've moved on. I've aged 10 years. Like, it's not a good look to have that in my inbox. (laughs) You're just at dinner and your phone goes off. Whoa. I'm sorry. What? That kind of dinner? So what's this website you're running? <laughs> now, Texas Cotton, tell me about it. Because you're a Texas boy. So was this kind of autobiographical at all? Or was it like a learned experience that you had in life? I think this movie came from like my love of uh, like kind of like Western noir films, uh, like No Country for Old Men. Yeah. And then there was a lot of Chinatown in this film. Nice. So it was just trying to, to mix something up. I'd done, you know, it, like the Coen Brothers style movies, their comedy and the way they do it. I just really love it. And I wanted to try to do something like that. 
George Hardy is the lead actor. He was really into it. He always wanted to play a policeman. And so, you know, it was kind of like a, a mix of, you know, who do we know? Who, who wants to play along? And, you know, is this a film we could make for cheap? And can we do it in our backyard? And yes, yes, yes. So, so to your what. point, you mentioned Coen Brothers. You know, you, you're having this kind of shared universe with your own work because you have George in. He was in Here Comes Rusty. He was in Texas Cotton in Cyst. How did that friendship relationship kind of start? So the first thing we did, we had a cameo role in Here Comes Rusty. And uh, my producer Ross was like, "Why don't we get the guy from uh, Troll Two? That's where yeah. his movie." I was like, "I was like, yeah, good luck." And he's like, "He lives in Alabama." And I was like, "Good luck." I was like, "There's no way." And he's like, "Just shoot him a message." So I shot him a Facebook message, and like ten minutes later, George is calling, and and uh, was like, "Hey, you want to take off, being a dentist, and come yeah. work with us today?" And he did. And I, honestly, like that day was one of my favorite days there. We had all these flashback scenes, so we had George in a mullet and yes. a mustache. And, and it, it was just a lot of fun. And he was, everybody loved working with him. And I was like, you know, it'd be really fun to make a movie for this guy who pretty much deserves to have his own movie. Yeah. And that's kind of how that started. I, I wrote him a script. And um, when we played here Cabresti uh, at the Sidewalk Film Festival in Alabama, I went to dinner with him and I was like, here's a script. Bam! I threw it on the table. And uh, five minutes in, George fell asleep. And I was like, all right, this is it. We got it. That's rad, dude. And so I look at him and in best worst movie, he's almost the butt of a joke almost because it shows like how excited he is to talk about the craft of filmmaking and this passion that he has. But it's he's not a fucking joke. Like he see every fucking fan interaction I've ever heard. People are like legitimately awesome guy. Is that the way it is behind the scenes? Yeah. 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 He's he's a really one of a kind guy. Um, and you're right. Every person that's ever met him has a story and it's always a positive story. Which is, I mean, that's a rarefied air in our industry when you have the people with the, with the naughty business being, you know, then you have the nice guys and the few little bubble and you've gotten to work in that area. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. George is great to be around he, and he brings great people around him too. So I think that's one really important thing, especially in this industry is that there's so many bad people yeah. um you just have to keep the good ones around and they'll stay around you know if they're good and and um that's kind of the group that i work with is, is we all like each other we all enjoy what we do uh we'd rather be making films than doing anything else so that's that's the kind of people that we want to be around no matter if it's an actor or producer whoever yeah and Another thing we had talked about, you know, when it comes to some of the skeezier people, we're not even just getting into sexual deviancy. Like you have people just have bad business practices like you're seeing when it comes to COVID protocols and everything and people just running rampant and treating people like property. You were saying when it came to cyst, you stopped shooting in December. Everything's locked down by March. Like that's crazy that you dodged that bullet. Like what was that like? Got really lucky. Um, I mean, it was, yeah, we finished in December. And then everything starts locking down and we're in post and it doesn't matter because yeah. everybody's working at home anyway. Exactly. So like our, our sound guys, you know, they have a studio and they would go to the studio when they could to make the Foley or <clears throat> work in the studio, do the mix, but then they would just go home and do the rest. 
Same thing with you know our VFX, everything else. Everybody's working at home, so we got really lucky there. If we had to shoot anything, it would have never worked. Yeah. And one of the things that's really interesting, I don't think a lot of people realize it. There's still this like glitz and glamour with the concept of Hollywood. Not much is Hollywood anymore. Georgia is huge. Texas is huge. Even Alabama. A lot of the South is really a great area where you have you know great tax incentives with states trying to make sure that they have a good area. You're not having crazy press. And so, so much of it is this flat earth of technology. Was it a virtually seamless post-production when it came to that, like, you know, drop boxing and everything? No. Oh, no. <laughs> we shot the movie in Baltimore, uh, Maryland. Right on. Um, so we had people coming from everywhere to, to do the film out there. So that caused a lot of problems with, you know, trying to do reshoots if we needed any. Well, nope, can't do any reshoots. Yeah. Uh, it's just too expensive to get One people and in done. and out. And then COVID. And then, yeah, you're right about the tax incentives. That's a really big thing. I think a lot of people don't realize the state they live in. There's something for everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've got stuff in place because they want people to to do stuff there. Mm-hmm. If it's not in your state, it's the one right next to you. I promise you, no matter where you live in America, do your research. Look it up. Yeah, Oklahoma is really good. You know, like, there, you know, there's so many states that are offering good incentives for people that are doing low-budget movies. That's why we went to... Uh, to Maryland. Texas did not have a good low-budget helping hand. That's tough. Sorry. (laughs) Where about in Maryland did you shoot? I lived there for a brief time. Baltimore. Beautiful. I I lived in Canton, so I would commute into Baltimore and work there. So it's a great little area. Nice. Yeah. Heard gunshots every nice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now, but, when it comes to your cast for this movie, you truly had people coming from everywhere, even Germany, Deutschland. Uh, and yeah. it seems like you met most of those people working on Troll World or under control. Pun, pun, pun. <laughs> what was that like? Uh, yeah, so, so I met Eva at the Cannes Film Festival, and she was awesome. I'm talking about George. I met her through George, and they had done that film together uh, like a year or so before that. And randomly, she was like, hey, do you know anybody that does English ADR stuff? Yeah. I was like, I could try to do it. And she's like, okay, let's try to do it. And I just started calling out, you know, I looked up uh, people that were in Texas that I thought would be kind of cool to get. And there were a lot of people that like, I loved, you know, growing up with Dragon Ball Z and, and things like that. Oh, we're so going to get into like, that, dude. Let's say, let's see what Vegeta's doing. And then Christopher Sabat was like, yeah, I'll come do it. And I was like, awesome. So I'm hanging out with, you know, like my childhood people that I, that I watched growing up every day. And, and it was so much freaking fun doing that. Those people that get to do um, voiceover stuff for animation. And that has got to be one of the best jobs to ever. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was, it was a lot of fun working with Eva. And then. From that point, like when George came in to do his stuff, because he redid his lines for the movie. Yeah. Eva and George together were just like, you know, two peas in a pod. And I was like, all right, well, there's a lot of good chemistry here. They love each other. They love working with each other. So what's the weirdest, wackiest movie we can do? And it works out, man. You wrote this part for each of them in mind because you didn't just like have a part where you're like, oh, coincidentally, I have a German lab assistant and I. (laughs) (laughs) No, I wrote it for him. Um, The idea came from being at Georgia's dental practice for the first time. Yeah. And uh, when I came in, all his nurses, they were all dressed in pink scrubs and they're all just smiling like, oh, hi, how's it going? Really, 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 really nice. I'm like, oh my gosh, like everybody's so freaking happy here and their teeth are so white. (laughs) 
And then all of a sudden, George comes out waddling in his black scrubs. And he's like, hey. And he looks absolutely exhausted, uh, probably because I kept him up the night before, just like hanging out, drinking. And yeah, George, uh, George looked pretty crazy that day. And I was like, man, wouldn't this be fun to watch George just go crazy in his office? And uh, that's kind of where the, the idea came from. Like the nicest guy just going nuts. And uh, how do you make it work with a German actress? And yeah, that was it. That was it. just a lot of uh, love from older movies and kind of smushing it together. And uh, that's, yeah. <laughs> That's just, that's how we got it. So, you know, for those of you who haven't seen the trailer, there's going to be a link in the description of this episode. So please click it because goddamn, it's delightful. And one of the <laughs> coolest things is it's it has this weird Wes Anderson style sensibility of timelessness where you're like, this could be today and it's just a bunch of hipsters in old clothes or it could be 50 years ago. Was that timeless element like conscious in the creation of the film? 60s movies have a lot of problems for, I think, this is my opinion, but I think it has a lot of problems for the modern audience. Yeah. Number one is slow. Yeah. Um, and then number two, they talk like they're from the 60s and <laughs> we just talk that way and we just don't act that way. And it, you know, going and doing a lot of research on these movies is kind of infuriating to see like this honestly, like not attractive looking guy with like five beautiful women and they're all just like, oh, Danny, whoa, save me. And yeah. it's like, Come on, dude. Like, no one would ever do this. So that's that was the spin that I wanted to show the the toxic masculinity that was in the 60s. Absolutely. And, and she, Eva is not a wilting lily in this film at all, which is she's like the in true form. She is a final girl, but she's also like a good final girl in terms of like the heady concept of it. Exactly. That's what I wanted to do with that film is let's be honest about the 60s, but let's make it a fun movie and and I wanted her to, I wanted him to be like he was in the 60s, but I wanted Eva to to come out acting like she's from our timeline, you know? It's good kind of reclaiming it because like he, he truly, he has this toxic sense of masculinity. He objectifies her. He's possessive. He's demeaning. All of these things where I think people who watch Mad Men kind of forget the fact that they're all fucking assholes. And they're like, <laughs> oh, I want to smoke cigarettes in my office. And it's like, no, 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 no. That's regression. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned Dragon Ball Z and I recently for all, all of our fans know because I've, I've crowbarred it in like 50 fucking times rewatched all of Dragon Ball Z and Super no and GT and I've no found way. my love and Jason Douglas Beerus my favorite fucking character now <laughs> he's in your film and I was like I swear to Christ if Christ exists I don't know I'm sitting there and there's a scene in the diner where he says something and he's talking about food and I was like man this reminds me of beer it's just a fat cat wanting to eat and it's the same fucking guy yes how, how <laughs> yeah. that happen man uh so he was on Texas Cotton with us he played the antagonist in that film and yeah it was just again I was like you're a great actor and you do Dragon Ball Z so come on in let's make a movie He's awesome, man. That guy, he's very, very talented. And uh, his voice acting, I mean, he did the troll in uh, Under Control. Yep. And that is, I mean, he must have, oh, God, he must have lost his voice doing it. But it just every time, <sighs> the guy's like seven feet tall. Yeah, dude, he's a giant. <laughs> Eva's a giant too, right? Because George looks so fucking tiny in this movie. And I'm like, he's not that tiny. Yeah, Jason's a giant. Uh, but yeah, no, I've definitely asked him a fair share of Dragon Ball Z questions. Like, what do you do if you're at a, at a convention and somebody asks you a question you don't know? And he's like, 
just make it up. There know? we go. <laughs> he, didn't that, he didn't say that. Uh, but, but you know, he's, he's like, you got to give what the, what the fans want. I'm like, that's exactly what I want you to do, you know? Yeah. Like, Improvise. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, having those guys come in, like Christopher Savage, Jason, uh, there's a there's been a bunch of Dragon Ball Z people we worked with, but yeah, I, I feel just like you where it's just like, oh my gosh, I'm working with working with Piccolo. Oh my god, you know, it's like fucking weird. It's super weird, but it's super cool if you grew up with it every day trying to get home from school to go catch tsunami. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I think that what you need to do is next you need to have, you know, a German cocktail waitress, so you get Eva back, and then her love interest is Tom from Tsunami, you know, uh, a non-gendered robot character, if you will. That's the romance I want to see. Okay. Maybe we could do uh like a who framed Roger Rabbit. But like it's Eva with Dragon Ball Z characters. I love that. That is so exciting. <laughs> but then here's the twist. You do it like the the book Who Frames Roger Rabbit, where it's all comic based, but then it's a manga. So not only is it a comic, everybody's oh. reading it from right to left and people can't comprehend it. <laughs> it really artsy. So people have no fucking idea what's going on. Write down all these ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Trademark all of them. Sorry if you're listening. You can't steal my backwards manga movie idea, which is terrible. <laughs> so in this film you also got to work with gene jones who you'd worked with in the past legend uh what's that like because that's a bit part that's just it keeps on giving yes gene is just a wonderful guy very lucky to work with him he's he's one of those guys where it's just like he turns it on every second of the day so <clears throat> well i can't really ruin the movie but you know Gene, Gene's character is trying to get something taken off his neck. Yeah. And the day before we're having dinner and he's like, you know, I just really think I need a scarf on there. Like, Gene, we need a scarf. It's going to be behind your neck and nobody's going to really see it. And people want to see it's gross and they like the gross stuff because some, for some reason people like cysts. And he's like, I'm telling you, comedy, man, comedy. That's not comedy. You got to have the scarf on there. It's got to be a real, you got to be a reveal, got to be a reveal. And so we literally voted on it at the table. Gene won the vote, and so I was like, all right, I'm getting you a scarf. And uh, I think that was a really good addition yeah. to the film, especially when he flails it around in the movie. Uh, but yeah, Gene's awesome. Gene is just really, really fun to work with. Um, asked him about, like, I asked him what um, was like working with Tarantino. Yeah. He was like, I was there for only a few days, and he's out there, like, breakdancing on the floor, singing, you know, 70s songs, and people are just stopping and clapping along. Yeah, it's just, Gene's got a lot of a lot of history. John Huston, he would tell me stories about John Huston. It's like really cool stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that there's a certain degree of sensibility because so much of the movie, and, and this isn't a slight at all, so much of the movie it, it comes across as overt that I don't think people realize there's like lots of subtlety throughout. And so he's one of those characters where, you know, it, there's a loudness to him because he's obviously being building on this kind of silly character who's desperate to actually get attention in a doctor's office. Uh, but then there's, like you said, the scarf and the reveal, and then even the very end, which I'm not going to spoil, but <laughs> so good. Awesome. Gene did a couple of things in the film, uh, like, you know, where you're definitely going to laugh at him and we can kind of, you and me talk for a second, but yeah, that was Gene. That was, that was Gene. That's awesome. Like, I remember people at the monitor going like, is he supposed to do that? And I was like, 
I don't care. It's awesome. Like, look, you're kind of keep going. Gene knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. Seriously. And let me ask you a question. So when you're writing this film, the, you know, the time length, it's an hour and nine minutes, which for me is perfect. I keep talking about, I'm the guy who only wants to listen to albums that are EPs. I'm watching movies at 1.1 speed. I'm doing all this shit to save time because I'm being bombarded with content all the time. What's it like? That takes a certain degree of confidence to be like, nah, I'm going to send you home wanting more. I know you could have taken an extra 20 minutes, but this is what you get. Was that terrifying? No, I mean, I'm right there with you. Like, I just sat through... Uh, a recent movie that came out that was almost three three hours long, and I was like, "What the fuck? Yeah. Like, what? Like, what time I gotta go? You know? I mean, there's not a lot of movies that are good three hours long. Exhausting. Uh, yeah, and so especially for an independent small movie and a cult film or horror film, like you gotta just give it the best you can. And when we were cutting stuff, we were throwing it out the window. If it's not great, it's not gonna go in the film. All killer, um, no filler. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, like, there's so much filler in horror films yep. and, and and independent films, and so that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted it to be a fun ride where you go up the roller coaster and you go down, and that was real fast and it was really exciting. And there you go. Well, yeah, and to your point, especially when it comes to like you know horror films, creature features, indie films. I swear to Christ, if I have to see another indie film where 15 fucking minutes are spent in a forest for no reason because they didn't need a permit <laughs> to shoot there, I'm gonna stab someone in the gullet. <laughs> your film has an alley, a diner, a doctor's office, a basement. Thank you very much for giving me a sense of sensibility and direction. Was it hard to limit, or did you always have that in mind? Because that's, that's what I wanted to do yeah. from the beginning. Let's we're going to make this film. We're going to focus on the effects. We're going to focus on the content. Um, we're not going to go uh, like that's something uh, a lot of films have a problem with. Is like oh, you know, we have to go to this location, that location. Yeah. Like we did a lot of Texas Cotton. We had way too many locations. The film turned out fine, but I wish we would have focused on less locations. Yeah, I think I think it worked for that film, but for this film, it's a monster. Movie. Yeah, it's a monster. Movie. Well, also, you're building a great sense of scale. You know, you're in a doctor's office. So when you have a giant monster in a tiny space, it gives it a sense of grandeur and gravitas and like a big budget. It's a feature versus some of these damn creature features like that. When you have a goddamn guy in a costume just walking around outdoors, I'm like, look at all that blank space in this shot. I'm just (laughs) trembling with fear. (laughs) So... In the process of like, you know, character design and everything, uh, how involved were you in the process of like creating the creature? Um, so I had an idea of, you know, there were three versions of the monster, which you'll see in the second yeah. ticket. There's forms of it, right? Yeah. Um, when we contacted the company called Tolan Effects and told them what we were doing and what we were looking for, they pretty much were like, okay, cool. What else? Okay. Yeah, cool. Okay. What else? Uh, we want to have a uh, sis shoot everywhere in blood and this thing, that thing, and it's coming everywhere and it's coming from the roof. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. All right, cool. What, what else you got? Like, so nothing phased them. We had no idea how this was even possible to do. Thought a lot of it was out of the ballpark. No, they they've done this a million times. Yeah. So yeah, you just gotta you gotta find the right people, uh, let them do their job. They're experts at it. They've done it. they this is their job. This is their yeah. career. So you, you let them roll. Um, they sent us designs that they thought would work for like the way it described and every time it was 100% spot on there you go. just found the found the right partner you know that's awesome they did 
bomb job. I, I love the way the monster looks in the film, like every one of them. Yeah, I mean, because it's a certain thing to hear the concept of, oh yeah, it's a it's a horror feature about a cyst. You know, I'm like, I'm a goon. I watch Dr. Pimple Popper. I know what's up. Of course, I'm going to enjoy that. But for the layman who's like, what? Like my wife watched this. My wife has zero fucking patience for the stuff that we watch on the show. And so she not only stayed awake, which is just a feat unto itself now, but enjoyed it, which I was like, see, this is it's a leveling of the playing field because you deal with that absurd nature. Like, yeah, it's sci-fi horror, but it's not really because it's accessible to everybody. Uh, Was that part of your plan or is this kind of one of the things where it just those truths unto everyone? I wanted it to be not a one trick pony movie, not a one level movie. It needed to have all the the beats of a good film. Um, To me, this is my opinion of the film, right? It's, you know, do you care about the characters? Yeah. Do you feel like they're actually in danger? Do some of them actually die that you care about? You know, is the monster scary? Yeah. Do you know what the monster is going to do next? So it's just, those are the things that are important to me. Okay. You're like they're in the office. Things have got to happen. How do we make it fun? That's, that's where, it, you know, it's like, what do I want to see in a film? I want it to keep, you know, challenging my thought, like what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? If it's not doing that, then you totally failed. Absolutely. And moving forward, you know, there's always the potential for cyst too. I'd fucking watch it. But what else do you have kind of coming down the pipeline at this point? We are in the pre-production of a Tommy Wiseau, Greg Sestero, George Hardy, and more um, alien film. Yes. Sign me the fuck up. <laughs> and that film would be the weirdest thing you've ever seen. So that's... That's what we're going for right now. <laughs> well, and you know, especially you, you got the duo of Wiseau and Greg Sestero, and it seems that they've both embraced kind of funny enough with the troll spirit of things with like embracing the weird, embracing the kind of tongue in cheek element and people kind of mocking them. Like I remember when the trailer for best friends came out, people were like, Oh, let's laugh at them. And I'm like, laugh all the way to the fucking box office. Cause you just made them a paycheck dickweed. <laughs> yeah. I went and saw it on opening day. I love See? it. And so people like have this weird, th- <laughs> is it kind of like cathartic to think that you're going to work on a process where it works on multiple levels because on your worst day, let's say you fuck this movie up. You're also giving the people what they want. But if you do a good movie, you're also giving the people what they want. Yeah. I mean, if if Tommy and Greg decide and they're never going to do this, but if they decide to come completely drunk every day on set and, and fall around and that's the whole movie, I would watch it. Yep. I mean, <laughs> so, in fact, I'll pay a premium. <laughs> yeah, come on. Like, Yeah. It's, it's those guys. I mean, we love those guys. You know, they're, they're a part of our, our film culture. You can't not talk about them and, and things that have happened in film history, you know? Absolutely. So it's, 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 it's awesome. I'm really excited. And in the production element, nowadays, it feels like so often people are paying a premium for the behind the scenes content and knowing what the culture is like behind the scenes and the production is like with a cast like this and a production, I only anticipate, is that something you're going to look to, to like document the proceedings? Cause I feel like that would probably be no offense as entertaining as the movie itself to see kind of the nuts and bolts of it. Yeah. That, that film absolutely needs a full on behind the scenes, uh, featurette or whatever you're gonna call it but yeah it definitely needs it no telling what's gonna happen i mean if we all got covid that would that would suck but it would be funny to watch i think it'd be funny to watch uh, (laughs) (laughs) just like everybody thought like tommy finding out that he has covid like would be 
I would pay a lot of money to watch that. I could only imagine what this sound that's quality never gonna happen. Yeah. Yeah, don't wish that on the universe. No, no, that would be terrible. I could just see him walking into a doctor's office and then be like, hi, Tommy, you're my favorite customer. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you going out of this interview, uh, what are like your favorite references that you got to put in that, uh, you know, just reverent to material that you liked? Um, <laughs> sorry, say it again. Yeah, uh, like in making cyst, uh, there it seems that there are a lot of things that are referential. Do you have like a favorite uh, reference that you made? Because it's it's referential without being idea theft, which I really appreciate. So, are there things that either you enjoyed or things that maybe people might not have noticed because it was a little more subtle? Um, so you're saying what references did I put in, or what have I heard from people? Oh, just you. But either way. Um, okay, so I can't really run the movie because there's it's a good a lot point. Of yeah, so I don't, um, but there's definitely some hardcore troll two yeah. references in the film that are really funny, and then there's definitely some room stuff in there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've heard from people uh, everything from like the thing, the blob. Um, Did you get the void? Because there's a smear of blood on the linoleum that reminded me of that movie, and I was like, ooh, exciting. No, but The Void's a great movie. So and, good. Uh, awesome. Thank you. No, that's cool. Um, yeah. I've heard a lot of crazy ones where I'm just like, whoa, where did that come from? And that's, it's really awesome that it's bringing up the memory of those films because all those films to me are way more important than Cyst and better than Cyst. And it's just, it's exciting to hear that it, you know, somebody said like, uh, it brought me back to when I was growing up watching 50 movies, 50s movies and things like that. And that's what, that's the whole point of the movie. Yeah. You know, is to, bring back that purity of film where it was before where it wasn't just like a money grab or it wasn't just like a i'm trying to show you look at this look at this point i'm gonna shove this down your throat yeah like just watch the movie it'll make sense you know uh yeah i just hope it brings the feels the horror feels and it definitely does i can vouch for you because i've actually seen a screener and that's another thing a lot of people want to reach out to podcasts and stuff and be like hey talk about this shit but also pay to watch the shit there's Whoa. something very nice about just getting a screener in my inbox and being able to enjoy it, man. That is- oh, hey, put put your time, energy, effort into this yeah. and pay me money. Like yeah. that doesn't come on. Come Make on, me on. a fucking commercial for 20 minutes and pay me for it. I'm like, I'm sorry. And you're not even giving me the decency of a reach around, you son of a bitch. So thank you for that. Uh free. Yeah, right. Any closing remarks to our mutant goons from beyond before I let you go about your merry way? Be safe. 2020 is almost over. Knock on wood. Get through it. Maybe that's the theme of the Alien movie. Maybe we find out that this whole alternative reality matrix kind of thing is real from the aliens. And this was like a computer virus. So then it's us and the aliens working together, circle jerking each other off until we come out of the simulation. And then, you know, it gets tantric from there. Maybe I'm sending you the summary because it sounds like you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sounds like it. But thank you very much for making yourself available and listening to me rant. Uh, I truly, thank you for making Cyst. I really enjoyed it. And I truly will follow your career from here and make sure to come back when you have other things going on when your alien, your untitled alien Wiseso Sisteros <laughs> joint comes out. Thank you very much. Hit that, hit that subscribe, follow whatever button for this guy. Oh, yeah. You got to plug them. So, uh, well, do you, what, what's your screener and follow the shit? What's your um, your social media before I let you go? So that, that's where we need to find you. And where can we find Cyst? Aha. Uh-huh. 
Uh, just maybe on Facebook. That's probably go. the best. Yeah. And that was my interview with Tyler Russell. Please patronize Cyst however you can. If you can find it streaming, do so. I know that we talk about distribution a little bit with him, and I talk about him with Travis Ayers, the uh, producer, next week. Support it how you can. Express interest. Watch that trailer. All that stuff is tracked, and it's going to help them get distribution. And the people who are involved in this, Gene Jones, George Hardy, Jason Douglas, Greg Sestero, and the star like the stage screen stealing. Oh my God. I love her so much. Eva Haberman. Like they all need this movie to be huge and blow up and be the best. Uh, So please support them. However you can. Uh, So Doug, now that I have taken this movie's balls and cock out of my mouth, uh, is there anything you'd like to say to the mutant goons from beyond before we let them go? Well, I want to say have a great Christmas and a great new year. You mutant goons out there. And like I said, Christmas is one of, Uh, You know, I'm sure for horror fans like you guys, it's a great time to stock up on these horror movies. Jack Frost, Jack Frost 2, um, Don't Open Till Christmas, the original Black Christmas, the Black Christmas remake, not the one from Blumhouse, uh, if you want to, I guess. But uh, yeah, there's just some some great Christmas movies out there. And I think um, another one, too, is uh, Christmas Evil. Yeah, Um, a Christmas horror story. That one's delightful. Uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Silent Night, Deadly Night, Silent Night, Deadly Night 2, 3, 4, 5, uh, Silent Night, the remake. Um, and then what's another one? Uh, if you bought it the at The Ginger Dead Man with Gary Busey, god damn it. That one's a Christmas movie? Kind of. Okay. Yeah, okay. So Ginger Dead Man. I know there's Ginger Ma- Ginger Dead Man 2, The Passion of the Crust, which uh, <laughs> I haven't seen that <laughs> one, but I, but I kind of want to. Uh, yeah, there's just a lot of great Christmas-themed slashers and whores out there. So I really think... Uh, you know, hey, for you Dead by Daylight players, wouldn't Jack Frost make a good uh, killer? I think so. You turn into water and you spook the the survivors. I don't know. For, I'm really uh, into that, that yeah. More, yeah, that's more for Metalhead Munchkin because her and I talk about Dead by Daylight a lot. So There we go. <laughs> and I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Krampus, which uh, my daughter is in her Terrible Twos phase. So I think this is the year she gets introduced to the uh, the good old Krampus or the, um, what's this, Bush Belschnickel. Oh yeah, well see that's a good that's a good like entry level horror movie. That's kind of like Gremlins, you know what I mean? It's not Well, I just mean the violent. concept of if she's bad, she gets thrown in a snack and beaten with sticks. Oh, okay. They even put in a snow globe for the rest of eternity <laughs> and reliving the same day. So. I love yeah. it. All right, everyone. This has been an episode of Slashers. Goodbye and good die. <laughs>